Thank you. I am so excited to have you here. You are the first guest that I've actually connected with through the podcast. Yeah, kind of fun. Kind of fun. Internet friends. We have so many mutual friends that I'm surprised our paths like didn't cross more Yeah, it took this long. I know, but it's so fun. A little background, Reagan and I met through the podcast. We were DMing. We happened to be in New York at the same time, and we had a lovely chat at Central Park. And I was panicking that I wasn't recording it. <laughs> I was like, everything you're saying is so good. I I'm wish so I had flattered. a microphone. And I'm so glad that we are getting to chat with microphones this time. I can't wait to share your wisdom with the Girls Camp community. Well, I'm very honored and happy to be here. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about church education pretty broadly. You are an incredibly educated woman and you are going on to get further education, which I always find incredibly impressive. And when we talked at Central Park, we were talking a lot about BYU, how that played into our faith journeys, BYU professors, kind of what type of education we got at BYU. So we're going to get into all of that. And then I have some BYU stories to respond to. (laughs) And there's some fun ones. I'm sure. (laughs) I put this prompt out last night and I was like kind of in a weird mood before I was going to bed last night and I just like clicked on my Google Drive link and just read through a few (laughs) of them. Yes. And I was (laughs) like, I was like, this is why I do this. Like, this is so bizarre and crazy and funny and we have much to unpack. Oh, I'm sure. As usual. So before we get into all of that, I would love to hear a brief overview of your Mormon story, your upbringing, kind of how you related to Mormonism leading up to leaving. Tell us about it. So I grew up half in Austin, Texas, and then in Highland, Utah. So as a kid, was like the only Mormon in my school, but all my friends were Christian. And then I moved to Utah and was plopped right in the heart of like Mormon Mecca. At what age? Um, I was, I want to say 12. Okay. So like middle school. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Like I was super active growing up. I made friends at church and I studied my scriptures and I found a lot of joy in the connection that mm-hmm. the church brings. Yeah. And um, really never would have predicted any sort of deviation from that. I would say the first little cracks in the surface for me were actually on my mission. So I served in Vancouver, Canada, which I loved. I honestly... I'm so grateful for my mission still, as hard as it was. But I was all of a sudden in just this absolute religious melting pot where I was meeting people from all over the globe who practiced religions I'd never heard of and were so remarkably happy. Mm. And I had come under the impression that I had something that nobody else did and they needed me to be happy. And yet I'm learning from, you know, these Sikhs and these Hindus and these Buddhists and these atheists and these Catholics and gaining all these little bits and pieces of light from them and didn't necessarily feel like I had something that they didn't. Yeah. So that initially threw me a little bit, um, but, you know, still was wholeheartedly in it. I think the other factor was that I mostly served in YSAs. So I was mostly talking to people my same age the whole time interesting, and was confronted over and over with like, oh, this is who I felt like I was meeting all these different versions of myself had I been raised differently. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I think too, at that stage, I love how you described that. I remember really strongly kind of holding to or, or reminding myself oh, we just are building upon these people's faith. Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah, totally. Like, that was the narrative yes, that I adopted that was too. the narrative. was like, okay, <laughs> they already have all these good things, but this is more goodness, which in reality, as we know, it's a little different than that when you're not really totally able to build upon right. the goodness that they already have. But that just called that thing to mind for me on my mission where I was constantly being like, okay, this doesn't make any sense, but... Maybe I'm just like taking all this good stuff and like trying to build on it. it Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think um, one thing in particular that stood out to me is we 
talk about the opportunity to be with your family forever as like that is the motivating factor you make the right choices now so that you can have that after you die and I would present that to people and they'd be like well yeah I already believe that and I was like oh wait a second (laughs) shit um (laughs) or it would be the opposite and they'd be like I like don't want that's not a reward to me I don't want to be with my family forever I'm like running from them in all these different oh, ways yeah. which is really interesting yeah, I hadn't thought of that one yeah and I was like oh wait I gotta reframe all of the like you know reward infrastructure I guess yeah that, that I came and thought I was offering so that was a big thing was my mission although like I said I did really love it returned home still really active and then was at BYU and gosh, I don't know when like a shelf broke, so to speak, but there were all these little pivots and mostly it was meeting and loving people who are marginalized by the church, which forced me to be like, okay, I don't, you know, the God that I believe in is not necessarily the God I'm being presented with here. And how do I reconcile those two? And so then I had a big chapter of, okay, like ideologically, I don't align with the church, but I'm still super active in terms of behavior. I still look and act and present myself as very Mormon. Yeah, keep the word of wisdom, wear right. garments. Yeah, totally. Like I'm, my behavior has not changed, even though my ideas have, you know, that progressive Mormon phase of like, well, I'm going to fix it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to stick around and be the voice of reason and advocate for these people who are on the fringes here. Yeah. And then I think I just got tired. <laughs> I think, As one does. Yeah, I ran out of energy and I also didn't see the needle moving. And I, so I studied political science in school too, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But, you know, when you look at religions in general as institutions, they become sticky institutions in poli-sci, meaning they change so slowly like molasses, mm-hmm. especially when in any situation in which leadership is in power for life like things don't change until you have a new generation of people making decisions which takes a long which takes a really long time and so I just I don't know I felt like I hit this point where it was costing me more than it was giving me and then I moved to Austin and I left BYU and you know still went to church sporadically there but it just felt so empty to me in a sense and so I haven't gone in a really long time now and you know people ask me oh, you went to BYU, are you Mormon? And I'm like, well, kind of. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how to answer that yeah. question. I haven't formally left. Honestly, I probably never will just because I really liked, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to space her name. But one of the guests you just had, the palm reader, who was so oh, lovely. Yeah. Ash. Ash, yeah. How she talked about how, like, that is a piece of herself. Totally. There's nothing I could do to unravel it from my life. Yes entirely and so I'm not going to try yeah, I'm just going to take the that. pieces that I value and walk away from the rest of it and I think that'll be a constant state of flux a constant evolution which is daunting to get comfy with absolutely but yeah it requires a lot of nuance it requires a lot of practice in holding two truths at once trial and error absolutely so much is coming to mind for me thank you for sharing all of that One thing I was thinking of is how different it probably is to leave Mormonism or to kind of separate in the ways that you have when you are elsewhere outside of Utah, because I feel like for me in Utah, I feel more of a need to differentiate from Mormonism, the mass of Mormonism here, where I can see if I moved at this stage to another state and people, you know, it came up, I served a mission or went to BYU I would feel differently, I think, connected to that Mormon piece. Yeah. You feel a little bit defensive of it almost. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is an interesting phenomenon. Yes. But I felt a lot of that, especially in Austin. Like, I was the only person who, well, one of, like, three people who went to BYU in my, you know, big giant office. And definitely the only Mormon any of my friends there had ever been close to at all. Yeah. Um, And so there's this stage where they kind of tiptoe around you and like they don't want to say anything offensive. They don't want to ask any like really nitty gritty questions because they don't know where you stand and they've seen whatever on TikTok or in the media. And then somehow you like cross this invisible line where they're like, okay, so but really tell me how this works. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah. And I often found myself 
explaining all this sort of like religious trauma even and this transition and all the things I was actively working through and at the same time bringing up little kernels of the church that I really treasured that I wouldn't have changed about my upbringing because because it is a piece of you absolutely and you know I think it's interesting so many other religions have this really wide spectrum of acceptable practice levels I guess for example you can be Jewish and not believe in God or you can be Jewish and be a Hasidic Jew and we don't have that we have this very binary you're in or you're out and that's hard it's really hard I'm so glad you said that you literally read my mind that's what I was thinking of as you were talking about kind of where you feel like you've landed now where you were saying I don't feel like I formally want to announce or say I've you know left or whatever words you want to use And I was thinking and wondering if there will inevitably start to be a broader spectrum of Mormon identity. Yeah, please bless. I hope. Because (laughs) that's what's so hard is that there really is not, that's not happening (laughs) really. But I think it is starting to happen. And I think more and more people are feeling more like you just described and yeah other religions they have a very broad spectrum as you described same with catholicism there's people who are catholic and it's more of an identity heritage piece for them but they feel really comfortable saying i'm catholic even if they are maybe not really that invested in catholic theology and right. practice etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. so i think that's a really interesting thing to explore and I'm curious to see how that kind of pans out for Mormonism because I think it would do the church well if people who have created some distance and separation could still feel a sense of belonging and ownership even exactly it should be religion should be this very communal thing and in some ways the church does that well and in other ways it can be very exclusive and I think like you said it would it would do us good to allow you know 10 different degrees of mormonism and not challenge the people who identify as mormon but don't practice it the way you do absolutely and i i hope that we're moving that direction absolutely i hope so too i see things sometimes that are encouraging and then i see other things that are yeah two steps forward, much one less step back. so <laughs> yeah yeah depends where you look i guess yeah that's all really interesting i want to dig into your byu experience and You studied political science. I studied English literature. So I think when we talked previously, we have some pretty similar experiences with kind of the tracks we were in at BYU, the kind of professors we were talking to. The culture around it. The culture around it. But at the same time, we both had to take generals. We had to take religious, you know, religion classes. So I'm curious what your experience at BYU was like. What are some things that come to mind of of what that education experience was like. Okay, I will say I really loved college and being at BYU, but I also recognize that I was on this weird little island within BYU. I've heard people joke that I think it's English, poli-sci, and advertising maybe, that like you can't graduate without having a faith crisis (laughs) in any of those majors. (laughs) Incredible and yeah, true. Checks out. I'm like, yeah, actually that adds up with all of my friends. (laughs) But... Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. I felt like at its core, I was studying, you know, right and wrong and what do human beings deserve and how do you make sure that they get it in a very broad sense, which I loved, but often came into conflict with the church's teachings and BYU's in particular. For example, I wrote on the BYU political review for a couple of years and we were so, so, so heavily censored. We could not mention the church. We could not mention BYU in its own publication. And we would get in trouble all the time for writing something like, I remember there was one year we wrote some article about same-sex marriage, but it wasn't advocating for it, for or against it. It was just an update on like, this is what, this is the court case that just happened. Mm -hmm. It was very objective and informative. Yeah. And somebody took all of our copies across campus and slid copies of the family proclamation in Mm -hmm. all of them and posted photos on all of our racks of President Nelson with some quote about gay marriage and how awful. This was just a student. Yeah, a student just took matters into their own hands and did it. And then we like got called in front of the dean and it was this whole ordeal. And I was like, seriously? (laughs) 
<laughs> like we can't mention no that we can't even exists. acknowledge that this exists outside of Provo Utah like I'm yeah. not none of us said it's good or bad yeah it was really interesting but um I had professors who really took matters into their own hands in the sense of trying to create this middle space because BYU often makes you feel like you have to be all in or all out it's back to that binary yep so you either are drinking the kool-aid and you love the church and your elders quorum president and you love your religion classes and you you know talk about your message miss whoa mission or you hate the church and you want nothing to do with it and you transfer in a heartbeat if only your parents would let you or whatever it is. And it can be really tricky if you're not on either of those ends of the spectrum to be like, okay, but wait, where's my safe space? Who can I talk to? Where can I go to figure these things out and float these ideas without somebody trying to sell me on their version of it? Yeah. Or even report you yeah. to the Or bishop. get me kicked out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting even, for example, I I know, you know, you can come to BYU if you're not a member. You just have to get, like, your ecclesiastical leader to sign your honor code, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think you even have to go to an LDS bishop to do it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that's true. But if you are LDS and you leave the church while you're at school, then you get kicked out. Then that doesn't count as the honor code. So it's really a, bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre. We should give some a little context if anyone's listening who's never Mormon or isn't familiar with BYU. But essentially, BYU is a church run school and there's an honor code you have to abide by in order to attend there. And one of the things you have to do is be in good standing with the church. So you have to be attending church. Do you have to have, is it the same as a temple recommend? I don't think it's, uh, no, I don't think it's the same extent as a temple recommend, but you're abiding by all the main rules of the church. So you're not drinking, you're not having premarital sex, you're not engaging in homosexual relationships or dating. Yeah, it's it's all of those sort of big chunks. Yes. So even if, so you can go to BYU as a non-Mormon. Most people who do that, I would say almost everyone who does that is probably there for sports. Yeah, I would say in poli-sci, we actually had a lot of international students mm, who... Good point. Especially from the Middle East who get really... BYU gives them really good scholarships. And their parents are okay with sending them to BYU because they're like, oh, out of all the American universities, it's a dry campus. Yeah, you're and not going like, to be not, not partying at trouble. a fraternity. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's like the most sober campus. It always wins the most sober campus in the United we're States. We're so lucky. Yeah, we're so lucky. <laughs> so sober at BYU. But yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic because as you were talking about that need to maybe explore or you know, delve into spiritual questions you might have or as things are coming up around religion, as often they do at that phase of life regardless. Yeah, wherever you are. You almost are being held at the most extreme, you could say hostage, because in order to get your degree at BYU, you have to maintain church attendance. You have to stay on board. You have to. And I have friends who have left the church and been in a really uncomfortable situation where they are kind of put in a position of needing to lie in order to, you know, finish their last semester and get their degree that they've worked five years for. So that gets really complicated because it's pretty cut and dry, the honor code stuff. So if you are wanting to explore outside of what the honor code allows, you really truly are are in danger of getting kicked out of school. So it becomes this kind of interesting situation, especially because there is, and I don't think I experienced this very much because I never lived in the dorms, but I know there's also a culture of, uh, I'm trying to think of a better word than tattletailing, (laughs) but there's kind of this culture of not only do you abide by the honor code, but you have to make sure everybody else around you is as well. Yeah. Sort of a citizen's arrest. Exactly. (laughs) And some people take that very seriously. So you might not feel comfortable if you have you know, roommates, you might not feel comfortable even talking about concerns you have with the church because that could raise red flags. They could tell your bishop, your bishop could need to talk to you. So it creates kind of this interesting kind of, yeah, again, maybe it feels like a trap for some people because you feel like I need to maintain church membership in order to just simply get my degree. Right. Yeah. It makes it tricky to figure yourself out, even if it's not a full blown, like, do I leave the church or stay? But it's just hard to identify safe spaces to just voice things out loud wherever they may lead you. Yes. And tell me about 
the political science program because you had some professors who you feel like created that safe space. Definitely. Um, I, I'm not going to name them because I don't know if they'll get in trouble. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I don't want put, to put them in any hard positions, but I feel like the faculty as a whole was stellar. Pretty ideologically left, at least compared to BYU. I'm sure if we were at Berkeley or something, they would actually be conservatives yeah, or centrists. Pretty but, moderate. But at BYU, <laughs> raging Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, Most of them, not all of them. <laughs> they're like, gay people should get married. Like, right. Wow. <laughs> but they really worked hard to like bring up opposing views and make us think about it. I think above all else, our goal was for us to be deliberate in selecting our own beliefs, whether they be religious or political. And for the most part, those very much so overlap. Yeah, they have to. Right. And so they just wanted us to think about it, to not accept something because that's what we inherited. And one of them actually uh, would host these rogue firesides, he called them. Amazing. where he would invite a couple of us over to his house and build a fire in the backyard and we would sit in a circle and he would say okay like you know tell me how you feel about religion and we would just go around the circle and it would be you know a recently returned missionary and an atheist and a like recently out gay student and someone who had no idea where they stood and we would just talk about it and it was remarkable. I feel like above all else, this professor in particular really instilled the ability to trust myself mm. because I remember asking him, like, I am so scared of pride. I'm so scared of becoming the person who assumes that I know more than everybody else around me. Yeah. And what all my leaders and my parents and these people who I love and respect and admire are telling me to do, how do I navigate that I don't want to cross that line like how do you balance trusting your own intuition and your own experience versus trusting those who are trying to help you in their own way and I remember he looked at me and was like okay Reagan listen God designed you as an intelligent being and if you walk away from these intellectual wrestles that you're having then you're discounting the way that God made you Mm. which is not you know, part of the design. Yeah. And I think about that all the time. I I also, I love that too. And that was the overall culture I felt in my experience, at least in that program. And I, I felt too, I don't know. I remember him telling me as well, like, because I asked, I was like, how do you, like, you have to, to be a professor at BYU, you have to have a full temple recommend, which means you are living the highest standard of the religion consistently. And somebody signed off on it. Yep. And I was like, I know this man does not believe all these things because we've talked about it. So like, how are you... Making it work. Yeah, making that dissonance work. And I imagine some of the other professors are in a similar position. He talked about how... Well, he said, first of all, your life will be a lot more interesting if you learn to enjoy the dissonance rather than panic about it, which is true. And two, he said, you know, people assume that I'm really invested in the Mormon church because of the way I live my life, but it has nothing to do with a specific religion. I just made a list of my most important core beliefs and I live with max integrity to those. And there are things like, I remember one of them was, it will always be worth it to be generous with compassion and with mercy. Mm. Things like that, where they're not even inherently religious, but they are definitely moral and he was like, yeah, he was the scouts leader or something. And he was like all in on it and was crushing it. And he was like, people think that I'm just, you know, in love with the church because I fulfill my callings to such an extent. But it's just because one of my personal norms is like I show up for my commitments and I invest in my community. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that was an option. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, that's so fascinating. And I think there's so much there. There's so much there because one thing that I was thinking about as I was kind of reflecting on this episode and when we're thinking about a university like BYU that is founded very heavily on religious principles is there is a bit of a dichotomy sometimes between, in my mind at least, between highly dogmatic religion Mm-hmm. and intellectualism because academia just intellectualism in general requires a lot of curiosity it requires a lot of 
questioning of our own core beliefs. I think there's a lot of things about the academic world that kind of challenge just the way that religions operate, which is this is true because we're being told this is true. And certainly there's an element of coming to that truth yourself and learning about those truths yourself, but it doesn't often when it's being practiced in a dogmatic way, allow for a lot of what that professor told you, which is no, you know, best for you. You should explore your own feelings, intuitions, opinions, thoughts, when from the pulpit at general conference, we're hearing doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith, which in a way feels pretty opposite or contradictory right. to what your professor is saying. So you have this dynamic where from the very higher ups, something's being said, but then you have kind of countercultural interpretations and individuals that have these positions in at BYU or in society and Anyway, that's a whole long ramble, but I have thought a lot about that principle of can Mormonism, and obviously it can because your professor is practicing it that way, but I don't know. I guess I want to dig into that a little bit more because I think a lot of people listening might say, well, okay, good for your professor, but that's not real. <laughs> well, and I will say like, he's in a position of privilege at this point because one, he's a white straight man. So all the leadership looks like him and is more willing to believe him when he says, yeah, I'm living these things. Two, he's also married and, you know, has kids and lives in Orem, Utah. Like it, he's not trying to date or like, you know, let alone date someone of his own gender. And I guess I'm just saying that his life on paper it does not stray that far from what the church accepts, yeah. despite the fact that his belief system is totally different. So maybe so, there's no super significant obstacle right. that, yeah, could be viewed from the outside. Yeah, that's right. a great point. So, like, you know, I'm not suggesting that's a solution for everybody by any means, nor is it what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, you have to navigate that yourself. Totally. No, but I do think it's really interesting. And I think it's something that I really like talking about and remembering because my experience at BYU, I would say was fairly similar to what you're describing, where I was surrounded by professors who I hold in very high esteem, totally, who are incredibly smart and not only incredibly smart, intellectual, impressive, credible people in their respective fields, but also we're just very good, right. morally aligned. You just want to be like them. Exactly. Totally. Just really, really good people. And I had a professor who was kind of my mentor at BYU, and I just admire him deeply. I still do. And a lot of what he talked about in relation to the gospel was what he called meaning making, which is he taught mm. literary criticism. So his whole... Poking holes and things. Exactly. Right. And creating meaning that is maybe not the obvious straightforward meaning and really digging into things, kind of reading between the lines. And his whole point was, I think what your professor was saying too, of there's actually a lot of intellectual richness in the dissonance that can come with a religion like the LDS religion, because it does challenge you. You're often having to live in that in-between, especially as you're being educated when you're talking about literature or political science, you're having to wrestle with a lot of things, which I think can oftentimes be really intellectually enriching and fulfilling. But I love the point that you made and the caveat, which is that is true until maybe push comes to shove and you're a gay individual and it's no longer an intellectual pursuit. It's it's your a life. practical one, exactly. right? It exactly. affects your, you know, how I go about my day, what my future looks like. So, yeah, I I think my most core belief, the thing I am most certain of at this point in my life, is that different souls need different experiences and belief systems to get them to the same finish line. If that finish line is being the best and happiest, most full version of yourself. And, you know, I still definitely believe in God and consider myself a very spiritual person. I also understand why people don't believe in anything. But I just think God, if God is who I think they are, they're smart enough to have found a better way to get the answer out there if there was really one answer that everybody needed. Yep. And I think that's the same reason that I'll never 
you know, completely condemn the church because I also see like my mom's been through a really rough couple of years and the church has saved her in a lot of ways. And I would never want to take that away from her or suggest that her life would be better without it. But my life definitely is. And that's okay. I think that's such a great, healthy position to land in and to understand too that, I mean, I was kind of devil's advocating a little bit on your professor there, but I think wouldn't we so much rather that be allowed and be practiced that kind of thinking rather than highly dogmatic black and white thinking. And even if we feel like the main rhetoric of the church tends to lean more towards the dogmatic black or white thinking, how beautiful that there are members pushing against that and making, making it different, you know, and then teaching students at BYU how they can have it be different too. And ultimately when we're talking about that spectrum of Mormonism, I think that's a hugely important step in creating a wider spectrum is when we have people who are doing it differently and advocating for doing it differently. And I think that BYU in a lot of ways is a really good example of that in these programs that we're talking about, where there are professors who you can tell, even if they don't explicitly say it like your professor did, you can tell that's what they're doing, that they're kind of... they're creating space. Exactly. And they're maybe creating meaning or they're reading between the lines and interpreting differently. And it's making them a safer space for people who maybe still feel most spiritually aligned in Mormonism, but want to do it a little bit differently than is the like ABC formula that Mormonism teaches. I also don't know anybody for whom a faith transition has been a light switch where one day they're all in and then the next day they're all out or vice versa, frankly. And you need like you need these little spots of respite along the way where you can pause and collect yourself and ask questions and reconsider and maybe you take a step forward maybe you take a step backwards but you need to know that that's an option that there are other people in those same spaces as you because it can be so lonely it can it can be the loneliest thing it in is. the world and those people those spaces i think can be stepping stones for people to if people are going to be happiest outside of the religion, they can be stepping stones towards that without the immense fallout of the light switch situation. And I believe you and I talked about this as well, but you think of certain Mormon, very progressive Mormon influencers who are on Instagram being, I would say, highly, highly critical of the church, although still identifying as Mormon members. And while I see how that can be frustrating to certain post-Mormons or people who've been harmed by the church, I also see how useful and important those spaces are as well for people who are are needing that stepping stone out or people who are needing to stay in for whatever reason it may be. Sometimes it might even just be logistical reasons or reasons of safety physically. And they are finding spaces where they can understand oh it's okay to question things it's okay to critique things it's okay to expect more to ask for accountability and still maintain mormon identity in whatever way that that looks like right i think it comes back to autonomy or the idea of free agency which you know really loses its luster i guess if there are really only two choices if it's really just a or b Mm -hmm then like how much of an exercise in choice is that really? Absolutely. And I think it also diminishes the experience of active Mormons, which I try and remind myself of and kind of check myself on as someone who is post-Mormon now is remembering there was a long phase of my Mormonism where I felt deeply in, but I felt deeply at odds at the same time. Yeah, I felt that for so long. (laughs) And I felt so frustrated by people. While I now understand these people more than I did then, I felt really frustrated and honestly really diminished to be told in that space, well, you're just making this up because the church says it's all true or it's all not true. So your experience trying to live in this kind of middle space is invalid. And I was like, no, it is valid because I'm doing it. That's that's where I am. Yeah, that's this is how my I life. feel. Exactly. And I think that's something that I've really, I appreciate this conversation too, because I think it's an important reminder and an important check on 
how I can often fall into this jaded post-Mormon of like, well, that's not real though, because what does the prophet say? And what are the official doctrines? But understanding, well, I lived in that space for a long time. And who am I to say that other people can't inhabit that space? And the one other thing I wanted to say on that point is I'm thinking of my mom as well and how truly aligned I think she feels as a Mormon and how much good I've seen it do for her life. And thinking about these maybe progressive Mormon people on social media or what have you and how I can use those people as a resource to her and that is kind of a middle ground for right. us. Yeah, right? it's a stepping stone, like Exactly. You said. Like, I'm not going to say, Mom, listen to Mormon stories. I'm going to say, hey, Mom, there's this influencer, uh, Dr. Julie Hanks. And Love Julie Hanks. Julie Hanks is amazing because we can point people to her and they feel like, oh, she has the credibility of being a member. She's also a therapist. And she's sharing things that are pushing against the grain of Mormon culture in really important ways that people who identify as Mormon are going to be much more prone to be open to, I think, right. which is also very valuable. And bringing it back to BYU, I think, you know, for students who are there or considering going there, the number one most important thing you can do to have the experience that you need is to find your people as trite as that may sound. But I loved college because I found my people. I found a group of friends who were all along the spectrum. Some were super in, some were you know, didn't believe in anything at that point. But I felt like because I saw examples of sort of every shade of gray along the way, I guess, I knew that all those were options and that I didn't have to discount some piece of myself to fit in either this group or that group. And had I not found that, college would have been a very different experience for me. Absolutely. It sounds like there was a lot less isolation because you had those people, those spaces where you could explore. And I think I had the luxury of that as well. I'm excited to get into these stories because I think these... (laughs) I'm laughing just thinking about them. I think these provide kind of an interesting counterpoint. And I'm so glad that we're talking about both sides because I do think that there is so much more to BYU than the interviews on TikTok where kids are saying they'd rather drink a cup of cooking oil than coffee. But that's also part of it. And that's what's so fascinating, right? It is a wild place. There's so (laughs) many layers. There's so many layers to this. And I think these stories definitely touch more on kind of just the like ultimate bizarre kind of crazy layer. And I'm glad we've spoken so deeply to the fact that there's a lot of different things going on at Brigham Young University. (laughs) And I'll acknowledge too that my experience also would have been very different were I not white and raised Mormon and dating boys. Yeah, true. That... That, yeah, yeah it makes have it easier. Unlimited respect for anybody who does not fall into that category Absolutely. and went through BYU. Absolutely, I agree. Before I start reading some of these, did you have any really crazy, hyper conservative, hyper orthodox professors? Anything that comes to mind? Ooh. But I mean, not in political science for sure. But I did have, I did have some psycho landlords who took, I guess guarding the honor code into their own hands and mm. took it to an extreme like i remember those vigilante oh, landlords yeah. and like dorm hearts. the people the like older people who live at the yes. dorms and like watch yeah the well, freshmen i remember uh ethan my fiance was helping me move out i'm graduated at this point i'm literally packing up my car and moving to texas it's also probably 10 a.m it is the middle of the day and he's just carrying stuff from my room downstairs to my car and my mom is there too. Like my parents are in the room. Ethan is also there. My landlord walks into the house and chews him out for being in my bedroom. Well, and I was like, helping pack sir, what do you think we're up to next to my mother? Just like a quickie <laughs> amongst the boxes while your mom's oh. in the bathroom packing up. Yeah. Stuff like that all the time. Very, very letter of the law. Yes. Very letter of the law where it's like, well, boys aren't allowed in your bedroom, but it's like, okay, but I'm moving and yeah. it's 10 a.m. and he's helping like, me carry boxes Sorry, out. sir, you want me to carry all of this? Yes. not happening. It's just so silly because it's so, so extremely letter of the law. It's yeah. like, no, that's not even, that's not even a thing. Yeah, like I promise you help, him helping me move is the least yeah, of your concerns. it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, we got a lot of stories like that. I'm just going to jump into them. Oh, wait, I'm so sorry. I thought of one more. Oh, please. That's so important. Please, please, please. I had a bishop who 
made printed out packets like probably oh, no. a six page packet of paper for every member of the ward so like my whole apartment complex on his interpretation of the law of chastity which included never being in the same building as a boy unless there were other people in the building as well to never kiss someone unless both of your feet and both of their feet are on the ground to never like hug more than three seconds it was truly so absurd he typed that up he typed it out and and printed it it for all of us oh this is (laughs) like it's also so crazy because that is such a good example of the bishop roulette thing different people have different interpretations of total law of chastity and it depends what bishop you get it depends what landlord you get that how they're going to interpret that and then that has very real consequences if someone sees a boy in your bedroom moving your stuff and reports you like right it's crazy well and i think there was i think it was also like to never be in a car alone with a boy unless it's like in motion and i'm like so what i have to leap out of the car the second we put it in park you have to like, roll you have to actually roll while like, the car is moving like, like crack the door i'll slide out you go find a parking spot and then i'll meet you in the restaurant and at the same time they're gunning for you to get married as quickly as possible and i'm like silly. i don't understand how to get from point a to point b if i'm not allowed to interact Sit with in a stationary <laughs> vehicle god forbid oh, okay i'm sorry go, what a going. bishop Okay, we're just going to go through some of these. Story number one, the Daily Universe, BYU's newspaper, had an opinion column where a guy posted his admonition for girls to stop wearing cross-shoulder bags because they were distracting to boys. Because they cross between the boobs. Have you heard this one? Yeah. Oh, no. So they, like, accentuate women's boobs. And they printed it? They printed it in the Daily Universe. There were back and forth arguments about it from students for weeks. One girl wrote in that perhaps it would also help the boys if we stopped wearing seatbelts. It was all so ridiculous. I ended up doing a presentation on it for my oral business communications class. I'm sorry, but that's alarming. I've heard of this crossbody bag one because it, like, yeah, something about how it something crossing between your boobs is so incredibly provocative okay do you remember did you have one of those awful awful dresses on your mission that most of us had that are like the circle dresses it's like a tent yes it's like basically a shin length t-shirt yes it's just like short sleeves and then just loose fabric yep i if you don't know what i'm talking about please look it up i'll post a photo but my (laughs) there's an elder that complained in my mission they're truly the most shapeless things in the whole world like you you could not look more you could not hide your body look uglier yes (laughs) like (laughs) for lack of a better term (laughs) (laughs) those dresses and we had an elder who complained that when the wind blows it like blows right up against your body and so you can see you can see my bum damn it because they get tight against your body when the wind blows yeah when the wind blows and so then they got banned unless you were also wearing something over it that like covered your butt and i was like what i what else what else can i do options i'm literally running out of options (laughs) and i cannot control the actual wind sir yeah yeah so geez 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 bless these boys hearts bless these boys hearts sorry boys life is hard sorry we're wearing cross body bags around you My professor would show us horribly sexist YouTube skits and then follow with telling us that women need to take care of men and gender stereotypes and roles exist for a reason. He also would tell the women that we needed to be having more than two children to compensate for those in the world who aren't repopulating. He would consistently demean the women and men were always spoken about as, quote, just boys who needed to be mothered constantly. (gasps) Oh, that's a fun concept. It's the religious, the religious professors who i'm not even sure like what credentials yeah, are they, they have do they have phds i don't know what they have but they st- say some very crazy things oh my word yeah is that legal show me <laughs> your credentials where's please. the title nine office yeah literally okay my women's health class around 2010 the professor taught us we should consider whether any of our sexual practices help to keep or invite the spirit even within marriage the real kicker was she said that meant we should refrain from having oral sex. Her rationale was, would you be comfortable doing that if your father in heaven was in the room? I'm sorry, but if God was in the room with me, I would have all of my clothes on. Like, how am I supposed to have two plus children? I would not if be I'm having never, sex. Uh, taking my pants if off. If God was watching me. <laughs> yeah, probably not what oral an interesting sex bar. either. So interesting. Yeah, you know what? She's right. I wouldn't have oral sex in front of God. Yeah, I wouldn't probably just wouldn't be having sex anyway 
yeah, this person said, I remember thinking I wouldn't be comfortable doing any sexual things if he was in the room. I don't remember if that was just her opinion or if she was passing down what she had learned from church leaders years ago. I couldn't believe we were being shamed for having oral sex with our spouse in a university level health class. Oh, here's the kicker. She also taught that we shouldn't shave quote down there because God designed our bodies perfectly and our hair was there to protect our sensitive areas. So does that mean we don't shave our legs or <laughs> if there's hair there, God wants it there, baby. No shaving. Wild. Also, why is that even being discussed in a university level class? And presented as academia. Yes. They're giving they are giving academic credits and degrees for this kind of teaching. Yes. Teaching this stuff. Plus, it gets really complicated because certainly there's students in those classes who are just like, well, my professor said so, so this is probably yeah. real. If you're not having those conversations elsewhere. Yeah. Very scary. Or you're, you know, 20 and married and you're like, okay, so I guess this is the rule. Yeah. Like, um, sorry, wife, you cannot shave your pubic hair because <laughs> so-and-so said. Because my professor said. Yeah. Yikes. Oh, this one is just a funny one. And I'm curious if you did this. They said, one word, McMidnight, a tradition at BYU-Idaho where everyone would wait until midnight Monday morning to go eat McDonald's. Did you do this at in and out <laughs> Freshman year, I totally did that. Oh, it yeah. was such a thing. in and out you know, Sunday, I guess Sunday night. At like, it's Sunday night at midnight. Literally, yeah. you go at like 12.01, so you're not breaking the Sabbath. And you have 8 a.m. class the next morning, yep. but you wait to go to in and out until midnight, so it's not so Sunday So it's not breaking the Sabbath. And it's packed. It is and packed with the BYU students. The entire university is I did it. I did it my I freshman it year too. It is packed with BYU students who are not breaking the Sabbath but eating in and out at one minute past midnight. And then by senior year, my roommates and I would go through the drive-thru at McDonald's on the way home from church every week and get fries and put them in our <laughs> air fryer. Did you get told on for... Not that I know of. <laughs> through unscathed. I mean, you got, yeah, you got your degree, so maybe no one was watching you. Yeah, I'm safe now. Okay, this one's interesting. This person said, kind of similar to the experiences we were talking about. The humanities was great for me during slash after my faith crisis because one class went over paganism and others let me explore topics like racism, sexism, and faith crisis through my writing. And I went to class with short shorts and purple hair a couple of times. I did get reported to an honor code office my last semester and that was a whole adventure, but I made it through. So I think there are other people who have also kind of had, it's kind of similar to going on a mission where you think, oh, BYU is the safe place or a mission's the safe place. But I think for a lot of people, when you are getting education on that level, even within this kind of bubble of BYU, it is difficult to not start wondering about things. When you're reading world literature, when you're learning about world religions, et cetera, et cetera. I always wanted to take the class, the Bible as literature. Yeah. That's in the English department, yeah. right? My grandpa teaches that. No way. Did you know okay. that? I did not know that, yes. but I heard amazing things about oh, it. He's incredible. Yeah. Super interesting. He, I never got to take it either, but yeah, my grandpa taught that class. Yeah. I would love that. I know. It seems really cool. And it is cool. I will say, I remember at BYU being like, this is so cool that I can apply my faith in an academic setting and to what we were talking about earlier with kind of the richness that comes when you can do that. I do think there's some value in totally. being able to bring the spiritual aspect into the academic setting in a different way than would maybe be possible elsewhere. Yeah. You know, I had, um, I took a bunch of like world religions classes mm, yeah, or like that? Middle Eastern politics. And so inherently you talk a lot about Islam. Um, and I actually really loved it. Those classes were remarkable, but I did have one, <laughs> I think it was in my like survey of Judaism and Islam class where we were talking about like the Prophet Muhammad's vision that, you know, anyway, look it up. Long story short. And my professor's commentary was literally like, can you believe that Muslims believe this. Oh, like how silly it is that they think this teenage boy, you know, went into the desert and had this and God spoke to him. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I must be missing something because surely, surely this is actually more logical than much of what you're teaching me about my own Absolutely. religion. So just that dissonance is sometimes stunning. That's really interesting. I took a world religions class as well and I don't remember it very well, but I feel like I had a pretty cool professor and he was more... Did you have the one who was a convert from Greek Orthodoxy? Maybe. Because for my world religions class, I had him and he was awesome. And oh, I yeah. actually I bet remember... he had a much different take than... Yeah. One of the first days of class, he puts up this slide and it literally says, does God want everyone to be Mormon? And 
I raise my hand and I'm like, no. <laughs> and, you know, there are little like rustles oh, yeah, amongst sure the class. Like, and the professor looked at me and he was like, Reagan, let me tell you that you are either on the way to hell or exactly right. Wow. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Good to know. Which one? <laughs> but yeah, he, he just kind of was like, don't you think God would have figured out a better way if you wanted everybody to be Mormon yes. at this point? If he wanted everybody to be Mormon, there would be more Mormons. Yeah. And I was so grateful that he was saying that in the context of a cool. BYU religion class, because I'm sure a lot of the students in that class was the first time they'd ever considered something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Even and been having exposed it to come it. from someone like him meant so much more than you know me posting on something on instagram about it absolutely yeah so there were some good nuggets but there were also some not so good not so good it's a mixed bag it's a mixed bag that's the best summary yes it's absolutely a mixed bag oh my gosh (laughs) one of my best friends wanted to get married so bad and it was no secret because she was so horny she made a horny meter and hung it on her living room wall there were different categories like levels of horniness and she would change it daily or as needed (laughs) good for her (laughs) honestly kind of amazing this person sent me a photo of it and i'm like do we all need a horny meter like could be a helpful marriage should we make an app Honestly, <laughs> I need to show, I'll show you this off air and then I'll post it because it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I need to see I'm like, it. girlie's in check with her horniness. And we like, respect that. We respect that. She knows what she needs. We respect that. Okay, let's see. <laughs> the full-on <laughs> students dry humping on campus on the grass. <gasps> no. Did you see the PDA? The BYU PDA account? The BYU PDA account is so shocking it's one of the best and worst corners of the internet absolutely in my personal opinion but it's so real did you see that in person oh yeah the absolutely. pda was outrageous kids straddling each other yes, on the benches outside because the they can't be in the same room together or they'll get kicked out so they're like making out straddling each other like fully in public it is utterly bizarre <laughs> and they're 18 and they're That's 18 the <laughs> and they're like engaged and they're like gonna get married in three weeks yeah but just, they're not like, allowed can't. to be in the same room no. so, so they, the library is gonna have to do the grass outside of like the what's the building far on campus it's like the really the building yes yeah the grass outside the mazer what a hot place to like (laughs) get it on date night yeah literally um oh here's a good one my sociology professor shit on brigham young so much and called out racism in the church and byu was ultimately my real beginning to leaving there you go. Honestly, it all depends on your major. Yeah, this honestly. is the conclusion I've come to. Honestly, if you're in it's humanities so and social sciences, honestly, you, you might you might have a you way might to be go. on you might be on your way out. <laughs> I transferred to BYU mid freshman year. I accidentally signed up for a return missionary Book of Mormon class. I got to the class and realized I was the only girl and the youngest person in the room by two years. I asked the professor what I should do, and he said I was welcome to transfer, but maybe I was in here for a reason, raising his eyebrows and gesturing towards some of the guys leaving. I was 18 and just trying to fulfill a degree requirement, not get married. I did not find my soulmate in that class, but I did create my own personal Book of Mormon family home evening curriculum for my future family. That was the course assignment. Not really any scholarly academics, just writing family home evening lessons for my future children. (laughs) And how lucky those children are. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, wait, kids. Let me pull out. I've been ready for this. I've prepared. I took a class on this. What a funny crossover, though. Actually getting graded on a family home evening Book of Mormon curriculum. Wild. Only at BYU. This one is kind of awful. So here we go. We held a gender bread forum for students on campus i don't know what that is to attend to learn more about gender sexuality inclusion and the lgbtqia plus community at the end we all signed a big poster with welcoming loving and positive messages for our lgbtqia plus peers on campus the next day one of the apostles came through the building he was in town for a devotional he looked at the sign turned to our professor who had sanctioned the event and said we needed to quote clean up the filth in the building, Ooh. implying the poster of positive messages was filth and needed to be removed ASAP. Okay, that breaks my heart. That's terrible. That is an interesting kind of interplay of what we were talking about too, yeah. right? When there are people attempting to make these safe spaces, but then it's actually not sanctioned by the people ultimately in charge. Right. There's this ceiling on anything you might do to try and push the needle in one direction or the exactly. other. Exactly. And 
I'm sure that if I were to go to BYU in the 80s and BYU now that things have gotten better. Absolutely. I'm sure they will continue to get better, but man, it is not a hospitable place for anybody who doesn't fall really neatly in that box of cis, straight, white, and like willing to get married. Absolutely. Yeah. That one is really a bummer to me because I feel like BYU is actually a really cool place to see kind of this activism of Mormon students that are really advocating, really attempting to push that needle. And it's really unfortunate that even when professors are on board, when that like higher layer starts to kind of steps on it exactly kind of a bummer all right let me read one more let me see which one i want to read oh (laughs) this is the one that made me laugh so hard last night my roommate threatened to report me to the honor code office for baking coffee cake (gasps) no no (laughs) coffee cake (laughs) Last night, that was the one I read. I told you I was kind of in a weird mood, and I read that, and, and said, I healed. was dying. I was like, I am healed. The insanity knows no bounds. Coffee cake. Well, I can't even fathom reporting someone for any for actually doing for like no. I you know I see bullying, and I don't have it in me to go exactly. to the honor code office and exactly. be like or cheating or whatever. Like, yes, what it's whatever like you to, have. Yes, it's like it's not my job. It's not my job no. to like report people to the honor code office. Oh my gosh. Coffee cake. (laughs) Like, do they know that there's no coffee in it? (laughs) I would give anything, Haley, to just rifle through the honor code's inbox. Oh, can you imagine? I like, that's actually my dream job, I think. Can you imagine? Someone in the honor code office, (laughs) I know you're listening. There's got to be like a physically and mentally out. Do they have interns? Honestly, give us the juice leak the documents we have to see what people are getting reported for well because surely you cannot sit there and comb through all of these submissions and not chuckle a little bit you can't read all of those and take all of them no. seriously no you have to be like this you coffee cake to- we've got to get this under control <laughs> people are baking coffee cake <laughs> it's a lawless <laughs> land out there in the dorms <laughs> that one had me dying so many stories of people with pink ends in their hair getting reported to the honor code office maybe we need to loosen up the system just a little bit because or like beard cards beard cards okay you can't if you don't know this i forgot about at this i don't know if i can say this with a straight face i don't know if i can get through this but you are not allowed to have a beard it's unclear why as that has nothing Absolutely to do with unclear. the religion no like you know the prophet the apostles many of them I'm sure have had beards at some point in their lives. But at BYU, it's simply non-negotiable. There will be no beards. No beards. The only way to have one is to get a beard card. You can get a beard card if you have a doctor sign a note that you have a medical reason for needing a beard. For example, my friend had poison ivy on his face. <laughs> and he got a beard card because he, he got a beard because he couldn't shave. And they gave him such a hard time about it. They were so mean to him about it. Not it's boys so like intentionally rubbing poison ivy on their yeah, face because no. they want to grow facial hair. Well, I have heard from multiple boys that the thing to do was to like give yourself a bad breakout basically because then you could get... Then you could go to the dermatologist and yeah, say I can't shave. And say I can't shave because I have 9 million zits on my face. So I need a beard so card. So I need a beard card <laughs> so that I'm allowed to show up to class with facial hair. I'm so but it doesn't apply to mustaches. Of beard cards. You can have a mustache. No, just beards. Just no, my husband had a mustache the whole time. <laughs> the beard thing. It's just one of those things. It's what you said at the very beginning about the political science, um, the thing you mentioned about sticky institutions. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere, someone said, let's not do beards. They don't look, you know, we want to look. cut enough. Yeah, we want to look more clean cut. And now still to this day, in the year of our Lord, 2023, you are not allowed to have a beard on BYU campus. No. Nuts. Or like boys can't have long hair, which I had a lot of guy friends who would just tuck their hair into beanies whenever uh-huh. they had to go to the testing yes. center. But remember how you couldn't wear leggings to the you testing center? You can't wear center? leggings to the testing center. You have to take out double piercings. People were turned away for double piercings. Oh, yeah. Women, if you had if any color in your hair. Short. No, like literally trying to go take a test and they're like, oh, you're wearing leggings. Like go home. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm is sorry. it 1954? <laughs> yeah, at BYU. Like, and why did why is that? Why did we choose that? Why I didn't know. we get stuck in like the 80s or something? Literally, like let's let's move a little bit ahead, BYU. 
really bizarre. There's so much more we could talk about with the bizarre things, but I think that gives a, that gives people a good taste <laughs> just of, a little, of the flavor. A little hint. Just a little hint of, of what's going on at BYU. I so, so appreciate your insights. I think you have such a beautiful way of speaking to the nuance of all of this, and I really appreciate that. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Next Haley. time you're really in Utah lucky. or next time I'm in Seattle, let's do this again. I know. Well, I'm moving to Boston. Oh, yes. Like you're going to Boston. A month. I want to visit. I really want to go to Boston. I've never visit. been. It's a really darling Also, city. Reagan's going to Harvard, everyone. So <laughs> Starting grad if school If that doesn't give her any credibility, I don't know what else will. Because I couldn't get enough of school. Yeah. Harvard's going to be different. <laughs> you know what? We <laughs> Harvard's going to be a different vibe. Let's talk in like six months. Should we do a compare and contrast? Yes. The differences between Harvard and BYU. Well, I got... This is funny. I got... I got automatically added to like the LDS Student Association Ooh. because I went to BYU. Yeah. Um, which is interesting on its own. And so somebody, you know, they were really nice. They like called me and they were like, congrats. And they, the, one of the first things they said was like, we have such a good LDS community here. We all babysit each other's kids all the time. And I was like, I okay, um, <laughs> first of all, I don't have children. You're like, that's not what I'm going to be meeting. <laughs> It's not really the support I'm looking for, uh-huh, uh-huh. but I appreciate you calling me. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That is so interesting. No, literally, let's schedule it. I'm going to come to Boston because <gasps> I want to go. I would love. And I'm really interested to hear about it because I feel like that becomes interesting too when true, very orthodox believing Mormons go on to higher education yeah. and what that interplay is like for them at a university like Harvard, you yeah. know? It'll be interesting for sure. You're the best. Thank you so, so much. Can't wait to talk in Boston. See you soon. Bye, everyone.